Do you like data centers? Cause I love data centers! I love data centers. I do love data centers. I love data centers. I live in Brazil. I do. I love data centers. I love data centers. I love data centers. I love data centers. I Hello, this is your host, Sean Patrick Terrio. I appreciate you taking the time to spend with me as I have another authentic conversation with a player and character in the data center industry. Hopefully you were able to download some thoughts, ideas, and knowledge that will add value to your career and your life. Note that this podcast is a labor of love for me, unsupported by advertisers so that I am able to have an uninterrupted conversation free from distractions for you or commercial obligations for me. As such, I do have one request, and that is simply that you share this podcast far and wide with your peers and throw a hashtag I love data centers if you can while sharing on social media. Without further ado, let's get to the interview. Welcome, everybody, once again to another episode of I Love Data Centers. This is Sean Patrick Terrio, your host, and I have with me today Philip Marangella, the Chief Marketing Officer of Edge Connects. Uh, Philip, thank you so much for joining me today. Awesome. Great to be here, Sean. Looking forward to it. So, Phil, as uh, we were just briefly talking, um, let our listeners know, I think you're up in the the Ashburn area, that teeny tiny little data center market up there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I live. I think it's got potential. Um, I've lived up here for for a while. Um, And, uh, you know, I got data centers in my backyard practically from from some of the hyperscalers. but. um, you know, it's interesting to watch, right? Like every day, if, you know, driving to the store or work and you just see another, you see the cranes and you see more, more walls coming up for, for more compute with, with the, you know, it, the growth is, is just crazy. Yeah, and so, yeah. It's, it's probably similar. I moved to Raleigh about five years ago and I've seen massive, you know, hundreds of acres cleared, cut, houses built and then filled in a matter of months. And I imagine it's the same thing in your backyard as it relates to this uh, data centers being built. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I originally come from uh, the MCI Verizon days, right. And they're right off Loudoun County Parkway, that headquarters there. And then, you know, then I went to Equinix, right. Which is obviously a, another little, you know, data center provider that could. And, uh, but it just, the propagation all around, you know, because of the network and because of what, you know, Equinix started building is, is just crazy. So, uh, my neighbors always ask me like, what's inside and what's going on? I said, Hey, look, just be happy. You got cheap power, you know, your internet's fast and, uh, tax rates are low. So, yeah, it's the matrix, man. It's the matrix. So, yeah. um, let's back up a little bit. I saw that you went to San Diego. Uh, was it San Diego state? <laughs> Uh, you come on, man. You see San Diego. You see San Diego, even better. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'm curious. Did you grow up in SoCal? Uh, well, it's funny. I bounced around a lot as a kid. People asked me if I was military. Uh, my parents and uh, no, but my grandparents were. So maybe that got into my parents' blood. So we bounced around a lot. Finally, once around high school hit, we we landed in San Diego, and they're like, you know, this is cruel. So we'll stop moving. So. High school was San Diego and then obviously college uh, there. And then I went to London of, of all places um, after that for, for grad school. 
So I, uh, I'm actually very, very familiar with San Diego State and UCSD. I almost went to UCSD. My, uh, my grandfather, who's a developer, um, actually built the La Jolla Shores Club Dominiums right across from Kellogg Park there by Scripps Pier. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I grew up spending about a month or two every summer since I was an infant down in La Jolla and watched that whole town explode over uh, between like 1980 and, and 1995, yeah. uh, 96 timeframe. Yeah. I, it's just the beautiful part of the country. And, and uh, you know, people ask like, why'd you leave? And I'm like, yeah, you know, so uh, I hear you. We try to go, you know, every so often get back there during the summer. Um, sadly, I'm I'm a Charger fan. I don't know. I feel mixed about it now that they're in LA. Do I have to move yeah. on? So, uh, you know, sports wise, it's it's terrible, but you know, beach wise, it's great. Well, now you have the the fun opportunity of being a fan of the football team from Washington. No, that will never happen. Yeah. <laughs> Probably the only worst organization in the Chargers. <laughs> So I saw that you're you're also like me. Uh, you were a poli sci major, uh, so we've got that. You know, we learned how the world operates. I was also uh, an econ major, so I learned who owned everything, who ran everything, and how interrelated those parties were, and, and learned systems. But with the poli sci major, I'm curious what what got you into technology because it sounds like you you moved pretty quickly into IT in, in the realm and world of IT. Yeah. Well, funny thing was. Uh... You know, I started out actually pre-med, right? So my parents wanted me to be a doctor. Uh, little problem uh, I faced was chemistry. So that didn't work out so well. So then I switched to poli-sci, which I did love. And that was kind of a passion. Um, and so they're like, hey, look, if you're going to be a doctor, be a lawyer. So I did that actually for a year. Went to the University of San Diego. Um, and, you know, that was a mistake. Uh, <laughs> but I'm glad you know, you learn from mistakes early. And then that's how I ended up in London. I wound up going to business school over there. Um, and then long and short of it, it's kind of followed in my dad's footsteps. He was in the telecom and tech space and was starting up a satellite uh, telecom uh, business over there. So I got my feet wet there. After I met my wife, we got married, we moved back to Silicon Valley, and then, you know, got into with startups out there, right? And a company called Telocity, which was like the first self-installed DSL company. And and then I'm like, oh, you know, like then the dot-com, you know, era, you know, we're in right in the middle of that stuff. And I'm like, you know what? This is looking a little shaky. I'm going to go someplace safe. So I moved to Nortel, <laughs> which, you know, again, you know, mistake number two. And, uh, you know, that's when it imploded because they did all this vendor financing and they just got yeah. burned so bad. And so they went from, you know, at that time, 120,000 employees and just, it just went down. So then that's why we moved out east because the Bay Area wasn't cheap. I just had a kid and I was just like, you know, we need to go somewhere else. Um, so that's how we ended up out east and, uh, was big consulting. I eventually went, ended up with, uh, MCI, um, which was great and met some great people. And then, you know, coming with a telecom background, um, I had a boss that, uh, that uh, went to uh, Equinix and uh, you know that's how I got into the data center space and kind of followed him over to Equinix you know way you know back in the in the late 90s early 2000s and um, or I should say uh, 2010 time frame right um, they were still great company at the time but nowhere near the size and scale they are now and you know being a telecom guy we were like Data centers are awesome, but 
you know, the interconnections where it's at and bringing in the ecosystem. And that's what we really tried to develop is the, the, you know, you know, bringing in the financial ecosystems to the networks, to the cloud and to the content and, and really, cause that just makes the business really sticky. And, you know, you know, doing that kind of slight pivot, right? Interconnection and cross connects were kind of a value added service, but making it a seminal part of the business was just really what helped, uh, you know, take, uh, Equinix on its rocket ship and others yeah. follow as well. Yeah. Um, well, that's a, a good journey that you went on. Uh, surprisingly, I think we were both in San Diego around the same time and probably both in Silicon Valley around the same time and uh, probably hit each other through other circles that uh, yeah. we just don't even remember. But um, so the the Equinix story back then is interesting, right? Because they they were one of the few, if if not only, games in town that had a cohesive story about a global data center uh, presence outside of you know the major telecommunication providers who just didn't didn't know how to tell the story. Uh, and it's it's still fascinating to me today how they have been able to dominate that global uh, position uh, for so long. And I I liken it. When people ask me how it is that they've been able to pull that off, the only answers I can come up with, and I'm curious what your perspective is, is that they quickly realized where the value was in the interconnection facilities, the carrier hotels and whatnot, uh, yeah. and and bought those and and you know put the flags in the ground in those locations in strategic markets around the world. Uh, but they also invested a ton of money on marketing. Uh, and it's, you know, the marketing engine that comes out of Equinix, even to this day, is second to none in the industry um, and continues to be. It's just mind blowing to me. And it, it looks like you had your hand in a lot of those activities as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, you know, it's a fantastic company and, and still friends with many folks there. And, and uh, you know, I remember John Lynn, who's the president now, we, we, we kind of started there together and, and we're working, you know, building out the ecosystems and, and, uh, you know, it's funny, the alumni too, that have left have kind of permeated the, the, throughout the data center industry as well and taken their lessons learned and, and, you know, are helping a lot of other companies like I have now with, with edge connects, but, um, you know, getting back to your point, right. That it, it is, you know, doing the analytics on that business. It's like, you know, companies that just, they don't churn because, they're so sticky, right? You have two or three connections to other companies. It's not like you can just pick up and go. You have those connections, right? And, you know, for service providers that are in the Equinix platform, you know, I remember in the beginning, they're like, oh, you know, you used to charge so much. And it's like, well, yeah, but you have to think that when you become, when you come into the Equinix platform, you're actually making a lot of money, right? Because companies want to connect to you and your services. And so in, when you start changing from being a cost center to a revenue center, right, that was a big marketing campaign we had. Um, you know, companies really realized the value of being inside Equinix and offering their services um, to all the companies that they either touch directly within the data center or indirectly in, in close proximity to the data center. And look, networks are the key, right? They're the key for every data center. And interconnecting 
in and through the data center to the people, to the devices, to the companies and so forth. And that was a, you know, that's what they've always had is, is tremendous network density across their portfolio. And, you know, that's, that's the driver of the digital economy now is, um, and, you know, we talked prior about, you know, the volume of traffic and the volume of data and the, the velocity required to support these new workloads and applications. That's why you see, again, the kind of um, distributed data centers going beyond the Ashburn. Back then, you know, you, you had a number of markets and that was good enough. Now you have to get more and more data centers closer and closer to end users and to enterprises and so forth to support all the traffic flows and the data flows and, and what happened that's coming from cloud gaming and cloud itself and IoT and, you know, machine learning and AI. And that's really the premise behind Edge Connects, right? That's what we, um, was the model that we did was to try to extend, you know, kind of the internet, you know, to the edge, if you will. Um, and, and that's, you know, played out very well for our, for our success. So the, the edge means a lot of things to a lot of different people. Um, but going and I'm going to get to that. I promise we're going to, we're going to dig deep into that conversation. But before we go there, I want to just make a, a quick point that I know you can hammer home is it's not just the revenue generation inside those facilities. It's the revenue uh, or the cost savings from a network perspective. So, you know, a, a 10 gig or a hundred gig port on a data center that prior, you know, used to exist on the edge might have cost three to 10x what it would cost inside of a carrier hotel. Uh, and the peering exchanges that also existed within those facilities made it such that companies could acquire network uh, and bandwidth for drastically cheaper. And so it, it always confused me how and why it was that so many customers would bitch and moan about the pricing uh, for the data center side of things, which was just a fraction of their total cost relative to their hardware, relative to the network. Um, and they would just completely ignore the fact that their network savings were drastic for being inside those types of facilities. Yeah, I mean, you, you, you know, that was part of the educational process of, of coming up with those ROIs and the TCVs um, so that they can get a kind of apples to apples comparison. If you look at, you know, the thing is, you know, that's an interesting point because the guy that's kind of running the facility of the data center, the guy that's running the network, the guy that's running the applications, right? They're all kind of different folks and, you know, not often in concert with each other and to think holistically about, you know, the, the entire span of a, a solution. And that's where, you know, having that educational components and, and making people realize the savings that you actually get when you think about it more holistically was like you said, part of the marketing efforts, right? And yeah. um, and having the data and the facts to back it up. So yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, that's that's the key conversation. I mean, my uh, I don't think you know this, but my background came from working on the sales side and um, product development and marketing side and indirect sales channel side of the different data center hosting companies in the market. But that was always the conversation that would confound me because to your specifically to that point, you'd have four different decision makers controlling different aspects, the network team, the facilities team, the applications team, the real estate team. And none of them really seem to be aggregating data 
onto a single platform or a single spreadsheet when trying to figure out total cost of ownership. Yeah. Um, and, and so you had to do it for them. And that's part of the reason why I left working for different data center providers, because I realized the value in having that conversation with the customer was huge. And if I could be yeah. able to coach that customer through that process uh, and then be able to put that customer into whatever data center they that was the right fit for them, regardless of location, um, that was the game that I wanted to play. So I, you know, I left in 2011 to basically start my own boutique consulting firm. And that's what uh-huh. I've been doing ever since. Um, yeah. But but let's get back to that uh, the edge conversation, right? Because, sure. you know, I humbly believe that edge is the new cloud in terms of marketing, <laughs> you know, fluffery, you know, BS terminology. Uh, so <laughs> let's define it specifically, right? So what the heck is the edge to Edge Connects? Uh, and to you when you're talking about it in the marketplace? Sure. I get that question all the time, right? So being one of the quote-unquote pioneers of the edge, right? Because we've been doing this for a long time at Edge Connects, way before it was cool, right? Then, you know, we were kind of laughed at and smirked out of like, why are you building data centers way out in Portland and Phoenix and some of these tier two, tier three markets, right? Um, and, and now it's, you know, it's like, uh, so in vogue, right? And, and, and I, so I get that question all the time about how do you define the edge? And I always say, look, it's the customer who defines it, right? Um, and it could be, you know, big, it could be small, um, it could be a tier one, it could be a tier two, it could be a tier three market, right? And, and again, like I said, big or small form factor could be, less than a megawatt, right? All the way up to, you know, we have campus in Amsterdam, you know, well exceeding 100 megawatts. Um, but it was driven by our customers. And at Edge Connect, our customers are, uh, we're as, as a wholesale provider, just focused on service providers, right? And so it started out with the content guys, right? Which really drove the edge for us and our kind of edge deployments to get their content closer to the eyeballs, right? Serving the Phoenix market out of one Wilshire in LA is just not cost effective or, you know, efficient from a performance perspective, right? And so that's why the likes of Comcast and Cox and Charter, a lot of the MSOs, as well as the CDNs like Akamai and so forth, were kind of our original drivers of the edge to, to kind of have a much more distributed architecture. Along came cloud, right? They were the next ones that they too also wanted to start putting cloud on ramps and kind of more edge deployments at the edge and and we started you know supporting them as well and in terms of that model right because we don't speculatively build we work with the customer to figure out exactly what they want where they want when they want they're like hey we like this because we're not forced to come to you you're working with us to give us an optimal kind of edge location and so that's what kind of drove us to a lot of other markets and started to go big right and started to uh, build uh, much larger facilities to support larger cloud infrastructure. And now you start to see emerging tech, right? Like I said, IoT and smart city types of things, autonomous vehicles. And we're do- doing a number of proof of concepts, which really get distributed and kind of have a mesh within a kind of uh, a particular metro. At the end of the day, it's what you're trying to solve for is reducing that latency and getting the service as close to the service consumer as possible, right? So cost benefits, like I said, performance benefits, there's also some security components as well. 
And, and, you know, that's, that's what, you know, a lot of the, the drivers are for us and what has, you know, allowed us to build our, our, our platform. If you look at Europe, right, there's nuances there with GDPR in particular, right? Because mm -hmm. even though the distance between Amsterdam and Brussels is not material, you have GDPR issues. So you have to keep stuff in the Netherlands versus Belgium and so forth. And you see a lot of, um, you know, um, that's for us where we're seeing a lot of growth in Europe as well as markets like South America, right? Which was traditionally served predominantly by the Brazilian market or even from, you know, Miami or Dallas or something along those lines that now that just doesn't make sense because there's so much demand for content and cloud and so forth. Markets like Argentina and Chile and Peru and Colombia are all kind of popping up. Doesn't mean the cloud, doesn't mean like markets like I'm in in Ashburn go away by any means. Those will still be the behemoths and the network and the interconnection will still drive the need to deploy and expand there, right? I, like I said, I see cranes, more and more cranes every day and you see Amazon and Microsoft and the big digitals and all these kind of guys building like crazy in uh, Ashburn and surrounding areas like Manassas and what have you. But at the same time, you know, the faster growth, relatively speaking, is is at the edge in, in some of these secondary markets, right? And obviously the international markets as well. Yeah. And uh, a lot of other things I want to hit on there. So one, you mentioned GDPR, and that was, you know, another one of the big concerns in the marketplace that was uh, potentially going to drive a lot of data center growth because it was going to force uh, companies to... Uh, develop new points of presence in different countries uh, because data had to be localized within that country from citizens from that country. Have you have you seen that play out? And on two levels, one customers actually having to um, separate out their environments uh, within different European countries, and then the second one is: Have you heard of any actual cases of companies being? Um, you know, charged or, or um, uh, I guess, you know, the legal ramifications for not having their data separated out. Because the reason I'm asking is I, I've heard of companies doing uh, the former, which was uh, moving their data around to different countries for fear of being under scrutiny from a, a litigation standpoint. I am yet to hear of any company actually being litigated because they have not done so. Yeah. Uh, so first part, yes, we are seeing companies, you know, are, it's driving our growth in Dublin, uh, as I mentioned, Amsterdam, uh, Warsaw, um, uh, Germany. Um, and then, you know, the pipeline, you know, you're seeing a number of countries throughout Europe where, you know, you, the, the hyperscalers are, are definitely looking to kind of scale out. Um, in terms of cases, right? I mean, there's the recent one with, you know, the, the EU is, is going after Facebook and, and others in terms of even bringing the data, you know, replicating it back to the states. And so what are the implications with that? I mean, that's a big thing to be following because what's that going to mean for data centers, right? And uh, how are they going to react, uh, number one? Number two, you know, you're also seeing the hyperscalers you know, this is one area where they're starting to collaborate in terms of lobbying, right? Not only in the U.S., but elsewhere, of like making sure that, um, uh, you know, that the, the data uh, transparency and sovereignty is, is how that is handled. Because 
that will be a huge cost, right, to them if they have to replicate in every country to some great degree and so forth. They're starting to do it, but like, you know, you know, how they respond will be interesting to see and how the regulators, you know, what they impose um, on, you know, the major, you know, content and data companies, right? How yeah. they handle that stuff. So definitely yeah, that, something to stay tuned to. That definitely also then plays out on the application layer. I have uh, a handful of, of clients and friends here in the Raleigh area who are in the healthcare world and um, specifically the, uh, God, there's an acronym for it, but um, they do clinical trials, clinical trial testing and whatnot. And they talked about how absolutely asinine a lot of the GDPR rules are because their applications are literally not even built to comply with the laws. And they have to re-architect their entire applications to cost them tens of millions of dollars in doing so just to be compliant. Um, yeah. And so I've I've been part of different organizations that have done lobbying work in DC related to our industry. And it's, it's so blatantly obvious that most of those who are creating legislation in and around um, the internet right now have a, hardly have an understanding on how to, you know, use basic applications and turn on and turn off their laptop, let alone the intricacies of application development and intricacies of databases uh, and active, active, you know, scenarios that need to be run within those databases, leveraging all the infrastructure that's been built. And so that's, that's where I'm huge on education and why I have my book and why I do this podcast is I think that, you know, a rising tide will hopefully raise all ships. Um, but we have a long, long way to go with those who are uh, regulating both in Europe here and elsewhere. Um, and just getting people up to speed on how all this stuff actually works so that they can make informed yeah. decisions. Um, and I'm not saying I'm against the thesis of what GDPR is trying to accomplish, um, but in how they're enacting it, it's simply making it impossible for a lot of businesses to operate. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, it's, it's, uh, and that's where the education comes in, right? The other one, you know, from a data center perspective is centers around sustainability, right? Data centers get a bad rap in that we're consuming so much power and we're not very green. I'll be honest though, like, you know, I'm also a member of the Infrastructure Masons, which if you're unfamiliar, kind of a, a um, nonprofit organization made up of, of individuals from all the leading, you know, cloud companies and data center operators and so forth. And, you know, uh, you know, being part of the marketing committee there too, right? Like there's a bad perception about data centers, right? And, and how much power they use. And if anything, you know, the community itself and the industry itself self-regulates. We're always trying to find ways to be greener, more efficient and so forth. Not because we're being forced to, but because one, you know, it helps our bottom line. Two, it's the right thing to do, you know, um, and and three, you know, it's it's just, you know, that's where we need to go, right? And so you see, like the Googles and the Microsofts and and Facebooks putting out commitments to become, you know, carbon neutral by X and such a date and so forth. And it's same for all of us as providers, establishing initiatives to be carbon neutral using uh, renewable energy to help support, um, you know, to become uh, greener. Um, developing new technologies to become greener, right? Collaborating and sharing information and so forth to become, you know, uh, greener as an industry. Um, and, 
you know, so, but that's, that's the thing is, you know, you see places like the Netherlands where they were coming down hard on data centers and, and, and so forth. Part of the education of just what we do, because data centers save a ton of money as well, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a guy, James Comey out of Stanford, did a ton of analysis on like, you know, the transfer cost of putting stuff in the cloud and the web and so forth versus, hey, driving to Blockbuster to get a video, right? Or, you know, buy, going to Best Buy to get CDs or whatever it is, right? Like, there's a lot of cost savings that, that are also done that you have to think more holistically about. So um, between GDPR and sustainability, there's certainly, um, you know, this is where we as an industry need to, to come together to better educate the regulators and, and the, the you know, people in general, the good aspects of data centers. Yeah, the, um, the interview I just did that just dropped today uh, on the 23rd of October, and this episode will probably drop here in a couple weeks or two weeks at least. Uh, so you'll probably be hearing this for those who are listening now in early November. Um, but it was with the CEO of um, formerly Greenhouse Data, uh, and the best quote that came out of that was the greenest electron is the one you never need to use. And I think that's, that's so nails, you know, exactly what our industry is proactively trying to do uh, is prevent waste of electricity because that's our biggest cost center. Right. Uh, and that's, you know, goes all always comes back to economics um, and for these data center companies, especially over the last decade, they've been proactively trying to find more efficient ways to deliver power to servers on their floors, uh, because at the end of the day, it reduces their total cost of delivering that power, which goes straight to their bottom line. So there's so many incentives for data center providers to uh, to save power and to not use any more electrons than they absolutely have to. Um, and then the other piece is, you know, Europe in general, is so far, so much farther along than the United States when it comes to uh, progressive thinking around um, power generation and utilization uh, and mandates uh, coming from different, uh, you know, government actors uh, on how and where power can be even be derived from coming into the data centers. Um, the The question I've always had is relates to, you know, do customers really at the end of the day care if the power is coming from a nuclear plant, a coal plant, uh, wherever, or a wind farm or a solar farm? And, you know, we can talk about sustainability all day long, but there's gotchas everywhere along that. It's, it's no different than the conversation about, you know, your electric car, right? Well, if you look at really where the batteries in those electric cars come from, and the waste that's produced and the toxic chemicals produced in the production of that battery. And then you look at the fact that that battery has to be charged. So when you plug it into the wall, you have to take into consideration where the power is and how the power is being generated to create the electron that's then going into the battery in the first place. Uh, And there's just, you know, I used to live in California and there was a lot of um, Prius owners that would just get, you know, livid pissed when I would try to have these conversations with them because they just did not want to believe that their car was not as green as they thought it was. Um, So I think, you know, we have to be very careful as an industry to just, you know, go all in on quote unquote renewable energy, uh, thinking that that's going to be our savior of mankind. 
when there's so much, you know, even the wind turbines, I've done research into that. There's a lot of, uh, you know, environmental impact of wind turbines in and of themselves. Um, so it is a very interesting conversation. I love the fact that you brought up James Comey uh, and that Stanford study. And that's one that um, if you have a link to the, the recent version of that, I want to share that and push that out because uh, that is great intel and great knowledge for people to really contextualize and understand and can be leveraged when doing a lot of the lobbying efforts that we're doing, not just with, you know, the public, the general public and customers, but with, uh, you know, those who sit in state, local and, and national, federal congressional seats. Yeah. 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 We'll do. I mean, it's, it's, you know, and look, guys like Microsoft, Google, I mean, they have the resources and like, they're not just thinking about the data center. I mean, they're thinking so holistically about, you know, the, I just saw something where, you know, they're, you know, they think about their employees and the flights they take and the, the impact on that. They think about their offices. So, I mean, they are putting some significant thought and effort behind being green, right? Because it's not just the, like, I think your Prius anecdote is, is, is a great one. And uh, it's true, right? You have to think of the sources of those power. And I'm, I was going to say, look, we, we use <laughs> wind, but um, I didn't, I didn't know after you kind of shot that down, I didn't want to <laughs> reference it, but you know, it's still better than the alternative. Right. And, and there's pros and cons to every consideration. Yeah. But again, it's I go back and I didn't to want to shoot it down. Point. I'm not shooting it down. I'm just saying you have to look exactly what you said. You have to look at the pros and cons. Right. And if you're right, only right. hearing one side of it, uh, you know, we have to have an unbiased conversation on the topic yeah. and not just here. Coal is bad. Nuclear is bad. All this stuff yeah. is bad. But solar is great and wind is great. Well, let's unwrap that. Let's really dig into the details. Yeah. But I go back to my fundamental point. I think we as an industry, the data center industry, just we are, you know, we're not, it's not like we're being forced to do it by regulators. We're very proactive in our own right to come up with green and sustainable solutions. And so, which is nice to see, right? It's, um, and it, it's a topic of discussion at, at Edge Connects, at the executive level, how to be green. I know it's at, it's all of the data center providers, right? And all the leading, the cloud you know, the guys that are building data centers are all trying to figure this out and work together, which is which is encouraging to see. Yeah. And I know some markets are, are a little bit further along than others. Uh, I was encouraged. I was just having a conversation with a, a CEO of another very large data center provider in the industry. Um, and he shared with me that their cost of power in some markets, not all markets, uh, but some markets uh, through sustainable um, uh, generation, is only I think it was 0. 0.007 cents a kilowatt hour more expensive than uh, than the alternative, you know, coal and, and nuclear and and related um, non renewable sources. So it's it's good to hear that that cost is coming down uh, and it's starting to to come on par. Uh, and I think obviously over time it's going to continue to be the case. Uh, so that's very helpful. Yeah. And then also you know what makes the Facebooks and the Googles and even the digital realties and the Equinixes is uh, ability to deliver that alternative power is they're simply the, the demand and the utilization that they're dealing with, right? They're not dealing with tens of megawatts. They're dealing with thousands of megawatts globally. And so when they go to buy, they can actually make specific purchases of specific types of power, which can then offset and 
drastically reduce the costs of um, that type of generation. So that's that's also the benefit of having our industry uh, in place is we can help drive a lot of those initiatives because of the sheer volume of power that we're consuming. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So let's let's unwrap iMasons. Um, and I, I'd love to pick your brain on it because I've tried to get Dean on my podcast uh, for <laughs> quite literally years at this point. Um, yeah. And we have a lot of similar contacts and connections and people have referred them to. I cannot, Dean, if you're listening, if you're ever listening to my podcast, just reply to one of my emails for the love of God, man. Um, I yeah. can't even tell you how many people I've had introduce me to Dean and he just is crickets in return. Um, yeah. But tell me about what is iMason's mission and what are they doing in, in the market? Um, there's a lot of buzz and a lot of activity and a lot of content that's coming out that I think is great. Um, yeah. So talk to me a little bit more about it. Yeah, sure. So. Um, I'll, first off, I'll talk to Dean and see if I can get him across the hump. And, and, and he would be great for your podcast. Great conversation. Um, look, so, you know, Dean founded it, right? Um, obviously, you know, one of the, the heavies in the industry. And he brought along his friends from like Joe Cava from Google and Christian Bellotti from Microsoft and and others, right? And then obviously you have the digitals and Equinixes and, and uh you know, all kinds of different data center companies. And, you know, he calls it, we're the digit, uh, the builders of the digital age. And he's like, leave your company at the door. And, you know, our focus is, you know, they have kind of three to four core mission focus areas, right? Sustainability, as we just talked about, is one. And so that's often a topic of, of, of discussion uh, as a collective. Um, education is another, right? He says, recognizes that, that, you know, we are all been in the industry for a long time. Um, and who are going to be the young people that's going to take our, our place? Um, and, and then, you know, right along with that is diversity and inclusion. Because, again, we're predominantly old white guys, right? And, and so we need to infuse the industry with far better diversity, um, far younger uh, brighter individuals. And part of the thing is people don't understand the data center, right? Like, you know, it's not, you know, it's not inherently what you think of, like understand or think about from the internet. Right. Um, you know, and I always say, you know, data centers aren't necessarily sexy. Um, I know you love it, Sean, but, uh, let's be honest, what goes inside the data center is what's sexy, right? All those servers and all the things that it enables and so forth. That's the sexy bit. And so trying to educate people, trying to educate the, the youth and the students that are coming out of college um, and, you know, trying to get different folks coming in um, is, is, you know, a, a big part of it. And then the fourth tenet is innovation. But getting back, you know, one of the cool things that um, we're doing right now with the Masons, um, just an interesting side story, is um, there was an individual came to us, you know, because we, to Edge Connects, because we built Edge data centers, Hampton University, it's a historically black college in, in Southern Virginia, you know, they were thinking about building a, you know, small data center in, in, uh, um, in their engineering department to help train the students, right? So I said, well, let me speak to them, right? And so I get to talking to them and I'm like, look, you know, that's easy to do. And we, we can certainly do that. And we're working to do that. But I'm like, um, here's an opportunity, right? One on the education, two on diversity and inclusion. So two core tenets of the Masons. 
I can help bring in the Masons and Dean and, and the rest of the folks and so forth. And we can have a collaboration between industry and academia to, to help train these students, right? To get them excited about data centers, get them understanding of all that's involved from site selection to construction, to network architecture, to, you know, cyber uh, considerations, all these kind of elements, right? And, um, these are going to be, you know, the future for the data center industry, right? Um, and so that has just, you know, that snowball has started. We've created a capstone project, right? We have teams of senior engineering students at Hampton University um, uh, involved in trying to come up with theoretical, you know, hey, we have to build a data center. Do we build one or two, you know, taking into latency considerations, you know, cost of real estate, tax, you know, incentives or costs, all these kinds of things. And it's fun to see. And they're getting excited. They're like, we didn't realize this is really cool, right? And, you know, now we have a pipeline of interns that we can, you know, capture. And then the other part is Hampton is part of a, a group called the, um, uh, there's a consortium of all the HBCUs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, of about 18 different colleges. And we just had a presentation with Dean and some of the other Mason uh, leaders pitching them. And so everybody's getting excited. So we're looking to replicate this at Howard, right? And University of Texas in El Paso um, and, and um, Arkansas State and all these universities to, to also do a capstone, to create a curriculum, to do internships, to build like little small data centers that they can do a sandbox environment and so forth. And so it's really exciting. And then, you know, you go out even further, we can take this internationally, right? There's all these new data centers that are coming up that are going to be needed in Africa. And we can partner over there with, you know, the different universities. And once we have the curriculum established, so I'm getting way ahead of my ski tips, but I'm really passionate about it. It's really exciting to have started this snowball going of, of, um, and this what ties in with the Masons and, you know, because you can draw on so many great, smart, experienced people from the Masons that are serving like myself as mentors to the future, right. To these Mm -hmm. new students and so forth. So really excited about that project. And, you know, that's just one example, uh, uh, to, to demonstrate the, the, the power of the Masons and, um, you know, the team that makes it up and they have, look, they've, they've built a great global organization, right? And they have chapters in India and, you know, the Middle East and Asia and South America. And so it's, it's how do we help each other think about data centers more greenly, you know, coming up with new innovations and collaboration and so forth. So it's a great thing that Dean has built. And like I said, this is just one example of the projects that we're developing and trying to give back to uh to the community i love it and i'm definitely gonna be following up with you afterwards because i'm involved in a very similar um case study uh with within that same hbcu community um so we should definitely be sharing notes and figuring out how we can collaborate to that extent uh, especially as it relates to um what is the curriculum right and the content and the curriculum Uh, and that's in part, you know, why I wrote my book uh, that's on its fourth yeah. edition, soon to be its fifth edition, is specifically to start creating curriculum, not on the, the yeah. engineering side of building the data center, which there's tons of that. It's how does this industry even operate? What are the supply right. demand economics motivating the industry? Who are the players? 
What are the differences yeah. between the different types of players? That's the conversation that I think is fundamentally lacking um, and why when people come into our industry, they think, well, a data center is a data center is a data center. They're all the yeah. same. And I'm like, you couldn't be more wrong. You just have to go right. through a couple of these and have intelligent conversations to realize how wrong that statement is. Um, but that's where people well, start to get excited is when they realize, wow, this industry is so diverse in, in interesting and so many different levels and touches every single tiny little bit of society uh, that it, it does. That's why I'm passionate about it <laughs> and why I yeah. love data centers and I'm trying to make data centers sexy uh, because yeah. I think they are. <laughs> I truly do think they are. Yeah. You just Once you yeah. start unraveling the mystery, you start realizing how cool they really can be. Yeah. Well, look, two things, Sean. Love to get you involved on that project. It's really, uh, like I said, I'm passionate about it. The, the opportunity is fantastic. It's great to hear the students like telling me, like, we just didn't know. This is so cool. And to start to see, you know, them getting excited, right? Because you're coming out as an engineer and you're always going for some of these traditional things. And now they're seeing this as a great opportunity to enter the, the data center field, number one. And if your listeners, if there's others too, kind of reach out right to me or or to others at the masons if you want to get involved right because these these we need mentors and we need ideas and we need this is how you know this is great about giving back um and so you know so again you know just uh, looking forward to collaborating with you and others on, on this sweet um so one of the other key topics i wanted to dig into that you can hopefully provide some context and clarity around was the acquisition recently of edge connects by eqt so what can you share about that and how how that um you know what opportunities does that present for edge connects moving forward yeah um so look yes we we have recently been acquired uh provided regulatory approvals we should be closing in this this q4 um EQT is out of Sweden, right? They're an infrastructure fund. They they also invested in Zeo recently, and and um, um, you know they've got a number of um, telecom and media and technology investments um, around the world, um, you know, and they recognize you know the opportunity in the data center space and the platform that we have built here at EdgeConnect. So what? So you know it. it presents to them a great opportunity to enter the data center space on a kind of global um, component. But for us too, right? Data centers are not cheap, right? And so having a, you know, cheaper cost of capital is important for us to help, you know, um, also scale out our business. We are all in the data center building, uh, business building at kind of max capacity, right? Um, Around the world. And I don't, you know, we're competitors in some respects, but there's so much to go around. Like we're all benefiting from, you know, this, this growth in the digital economy. And, you know, this also gets back to, you know, education and the edge and, and so forth is like COVID right. Has really shined a light on kind of the data centers because, you know, the edge is now our home essentially, right. We're working, we're studying, we're gaming, we're shopping, we're doing so many more things at home. And, you know, you see the tremendous growth in Netflix and, you know, Zoom and Microsoft Teams and all, Fortnite and all this kind of stuff. That's where the bottleneck sits is at the edge. And that's why 
these data centers that are more proximate, more local at the edge are help alleviating those traffic bottlenecks, right? That's where the peering happens at the edge. You know, if you're in Memphis, you don't want to have to hairpin all the way to Ashburn to kind of connect, right? And to your game, because, you know, we, we say like slow is the new down. And if you get that pinwheel or if you're going to lose the game or if your application's taking forever loading, you know, that just doesn't work. And so that's what's kind of really, um, you know, the, the COVID is really kind of accelerating this kind of digital transformation and this push for the edge. Um, and, and, you know, really highlights the importance that data centers, the role they have in terms of the internet, right? And so now I'm telling people, yeah, like, you're welcome, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, now that you're doing all this stuff at home and, you know, you're, you're, you can do it simultaneously, you know, that's what data centers do. Yeah, and that's, that was some of the foresight by the, uh, those who even got Edge Connect started. Um, you know, I have a handful of friends that have been in the company for, for some time. Um, and it was, who was it? Was it Comcast or, or Cox or, um, yep. uh, who were early involved helping to build out these data centers on the edge? Cause they realized that their central offices, that they were running a lot of this infrastructure out of just simply couldn't cut it anymore. And they needed to upgrade and expand and grow in a lot of these tier two growing scaling markets. And, you know, for better or worse, the Equinixes and digitals, simply did not want to invest in those markets because they did not have anchors large enough to justify the build outs. Um, and so it's been, it's been very interesting to see that continue to scale and grow and why my focus these days is very much in those tier two, tier three markets. I think that's where the opportunity is because so much capital uh, is being aggregated into these massive funds uh, but these funds need to drop hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars into different transactions to, to make it worthwhile for their investors, which leaves out all the smaller opportunities where you only need 20, 30, 40 million bucks to get something up off the ground and running. And you don't even need right. that much money out the gate. You could spend that over three, four years as the facility grows and scales. Um, but that's just not even interesting to, you know, I would say 90% of the players in the marketplace on both the capital side and the provider side. Um, so mm -hmm. middle America and rural America is basically left in the dark um, and has been ignored. And it's why they're paying egregious rates still for bandwidth and for services out in, you mm -hmm. know, in those markets. Yep. Well, and the other thing is the carrier neutral component uh, is like, you know, you look at South America where usually it's the telco that owns that data center. Right. And, Getting back to your, your TCV, the network charges they're costing is uh, exorbitant, right? Either, whether for a cost or a cross connect or what have you. So having a kind of carrier neutral provider coming in really kind of, you know, helps, you know, tamper some of the kind of <laughs> cost, uh, you know, right. um, el elements for those guys. So yeah, it's, it's going to upset the apple cart, right? The, the, yep. uh, I'm going to, I'm going to try to temper my language because I can get pretty heated on this topic, but I'm, I'm very displeased at a lot of the major ISPs that operate in those markets and the carriers uh, who are monopolies in those markets yep. uh, and how they've been, um, <laughs> let's just say monopolizing uh, as much as they possibly can in those markets. Um, 
and it's just, I don't know, it, the world is changing at such a rapid space or pace that I do not, you know, I know for a fact, if I have anything to do about it, uh, I'm going to be changing that paradigm in my lifetime for damn sure. Yep. 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 It will happen. It will happen. So, um, one of the other questions I had for you is in, in your career, uh, and going through not just the data center space, but all the other companies that you've worked with, what is some advice that you've received that has helped you kind of through your, your journey and your path? You know, is there, did you have a mentor or, or something that you've, uh, comments that have been made that you've kind of held true to who you are, uh, through the process? Um, yeah, that's a good, that's a good question, right? I, you know, I think about my dad, I mean, he's, he's passed, but he, you know, we used to play tennis, you know, he used to be kind of my coach growing up. And, uh, it's funny, you know, growing up in San Diego, I played tennis there and used to play for hours. And my one claim to fame, I remember in high school playing Michael Chang, right? And this was just before he went on to win the French Open, right? And, and this, once I played him, I realized, all right, I got to focus on my studies because I have no future tennis. Because <laughs> he, he absolutely destroyed me, right? You know, but my dad was always—he always used to say, "Flat and straight back," right? And so, and and the point was just, you know, just keep it steady, right? And and not get too, um, you know, emotional. Not to get too up, you know, w when you're up, don't get too, you know, um, you know full of yourself. And when you're down, just don't, don't worry, you know, there, there's going to be, you know, there's going to be the next point. Right. And, and so, you know, that's always kind of served me well, you know, because there have been ups and downs in this industry, right? Like I've gone through the dot-com bubble and, and, you know, that <laughs> it burst in my face there. And, and, you know, I've, I've been at some, some great places and, 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 you know, so, you know, it's, you know, you're up one day and down the next and you just got to, you know, over time, you know, level it out and, and, and keep, keep trucking. So, so I, 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 uh, I'll defer to my dad on that one. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, and one to keep in mind, it's funny. I, I still, I play tennis a lot, especially being down in San Diego, like, like you. Um, and I still get the chance to get out once a week with a, a buddy of mine out here. And I take my, my 14 year old son out, um, who's a little prodigy himself. Yeah. Um, but the, uh, what I've learned so much as it relates to tennis, and I don't know if you've noticed this, but it's very representative of our, your personality. So how you play tennis is representative of your personality. Um, and I just see that in, you know, I have a friend who's just, as you're saying, he's very flat and straight back. He's super calm, very cool, very collective. And he just very, you know, agilely moves across the court, never makes any shot look like it was too difficult. It pisses me off to no end. Uh, yeah. He could be, you know, hustling and just like, just lightly make it look like he spent no effort on it. And I'm yeah. all over the place scrambling, you know, screaming and yelling <laughs> and th throwing yeah. stuff and cheering. And, um, but anyway, it's, it's interesting. Um, yeah. But that, that's a great quote from your dad. Um, the other question I have for you, you know, you do a lot of these talks and you're out in front of people all the time. What is uh, in all your dealings, and whatnot, what is something new that you think you've you've seen or experienced over the last few months that's really made you stop and say, holy crap, uh, this is cool, this is unique, this is different, uh, and maybe made you rethink or reshape how you're how you're viewing things. Um, you know, for example, I will always remember the first time I saw 
the video of, of Tupac up on stage after he died, you know, through the 3D hologram uh, scenario. Oh, yeah. And I'd been thinking of that. I'd been, you know, wondering when that, when that technology was going to become truly available and not um, to those who can just spend, you know, half a million dollars on the hardware just to install it on both ends to make it happen. Uh, but when is that going to be on display for the masses to see? Uh, and I was like, it's coming. It's, it's, if this is going on right now, and this, that was like seven years ago that that happened at yeah. Coachella, you know? Yeah. Um, I know that we're going to be seeing that technology in our homes probably in the next three, four years, uh, let alone, you know, offices. Um, you know, is there anything like that that you've, you've seen that's blown your mind? Um, well, I'll be honest, and, and it's not necessarily new, but I, I just don't know if it's pervasive yet. But, you know, I got my son one of the Oculus things, like the virtual reality. And, um, and then, you know, for me, the coolest thing was, you know, I put that on, and again, I'll, I'll reference my dad again, right? Because he was a huge into mountain climbing and all, like Everest and all this kind of stuff, right? Not that he ever did Everest, but he was just, he read all the books and was passionate about it. And, uh, um, and his dream was always to go to Everest, right, to base camp, uh, not to the top, but just, you know, to base camp and all that kind of stuff. And um, obviously never he, he, he was he didn't get to do that. Um, but um, I tried my son's Oculus and you can go and you can go to base camp. Right. And you, it's like literally like being there. You can look around and you see the Sherpas and you see all the little, you know, the flat, the little you know, colored flags that they have and you can look up at Everest and so forth. And, and it just gives you that sense. And I was like, ah, oh, I wish he would have been able to um, try this out. Right. That would have been so cool. Right. Like, you know, you can't make the trip, but you can still get the sense. And because that, that, that 3d or that, that virtual experience was, was really amazing, you know? And so um, now I end up using it more than my son, you know, and, uh, and I just thought that's, that's a cool thing. And I, I still don't think it's, it's caught on mainstream and, you know, look, bringing it back to the data center, there's all these cool things that you're going to be able to do to virtually <laughs> manage a data center, right. And using virtual reality and augmented reality to help, you know, remotely manage and monitor and, you know, cruise a data center. I mean, we have it you know, customers can tour data centers virtually and so forth, but then to start operating uh, data centers virtually, it'll be really cool, I think. Yeah, and you, you hit on one of my favorite topics, which is uh, the question that people, I'm sure you get it, which is, well, aren't data centers going to become obsolete as, you know, the um, application and CPU uh, density grows so you can, you know, do more with less and, uh, and um, I, th I just think it's a ridiculous question. It's almost similar to the question yeah. about, well, don't you think data centers are going to go away as cloud computing grows? It's like, where the hell yeah. do you think the cloud lives? Yeah. It lives in the data center. Yeah. But related to that, it's as we have fatter pipes, bigger pipes, the ability to transition, trans, uh, push and receive more data uh, faster. And as processing goes up, it only gives rise to more applications mm -hmm leveraging that type of technology to include exactly what you're talking about, which it still is confusing to me and mind blowing to me that we don't have more uh, use cases of being able to sit in that 3d environment and watch a sporting event, 
or watch yep. any of it, right? Like even the, the debates that are going on, like you should be able to be front row and center watching this thing real time, not just on a TV, but on that device. Um, yeah. So that, that, you know, it'll be interesting to see what tips the curve on that and makes it accessible to everybody. Um, Cause I've, I don't know if you've done it. I've used my, my, uh, my phone, right. And use those makeshift things where you can kind of oh, attach yeah, yeah. it in there, but I get yeah. so flipping dizzy. Uh, after just like two minutes of that thing being right in front of my face, uh, I just can't handle it. And yet I've, I've used the Oculus and other ones at different, you know, gaming things that I've been to with my kids and I don't get that same experience. Um, so I don't know if that's why, if it's, they're still meddling with that technology, but, um, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know what's going to yeah. tip those skills. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, the last question, I guess, is, is there anything I haven't asked you that I, I should have asked you uh, in relation to the, the conversation that we're having today? You know, I, I, I guess yeah, I touched on a little bit in terms of COVID. Um, and, you know, what does that mean? Um, you know, because I get asked that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, obviously I've been working from home for a long time. Um, and, and, and for the foreseeable future. Right. And, um, but it's, it's really kind of, um, you know, we were already, you know, building at capacity and, you know, expanding and growing and all that kind of stuff. And I touched on that with the acquisition, but, you know, I just see COVID, it just really accelerating this new normal. There's not going to be a shift once things, you know, theoretically, hopefully come back to normal. I don't think it's going to, you know, drop down in terms of how much data is being consumed and how much, um, you know, data centers need to be built. It's going to, it's opened people's eyes um, and um, accelerating their need to, you know, for digital transformation. So, um, you know, again, I think I'm grateful, right, to be in this industry. Uh, It's hard to see and, and the, you know, the, the terrible impact it's had on so many. Um, and, you know, again, we're kind of the one shining spot in the economy um, that, you know, is, is um, you know, doing very well and, and being very successful. And, and it's not just for the short term. It's certainly going to be for the long term. So, you know, again, definitely um, grateful to be in this business um, and, you know, with this, with, with edge connects and so forth. And so, you know, um, you know, we're just going to continue um, building out going forward. So, yeah, I, I would second every single one of those statements. So very blessed. And it just goes back to the curriculum and education piece that we were talking about earlier. Um, something that I tell my kids and my cousins and everyone I can, who's, uh, you know, going through the education system right now is they have to learn the language of it, whether it's coding, um, whether it's hardware and computers, whether it's the digital infrastructure that we're dealing with on the data center side or network side, if you can speak that language, you are almost guaranteed to have a job no matter what yep. is going on in the economy around us. And I think yep. that's just proven proven itself over and over and over again through every single one of the crashes that have occurred over the last couple of years, a uh, couple yep. decades. Um, well, thank you, Philip, so much for taking your time. The very last question I have for you that I ask all my guests uh, is, do you love data centers? I absolutely love data centers. So I'm looking for the bumper sticker. 
So in the mail. <laughs> that is a great freaking idea. I'm gonna do yeah. a bumper sticker. I'm definitely yeah. doing a bumper sticker. I thought I thought you should do one. It says my data center is cooler than yours, right? So uh, <laughs> a little play on on your your PUE and your cooling. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm gonna steal that from you if you don't mind. Yeah, go ahead. That down. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you I'll give you your recognition if we make uh, some serious royalties. Uh, off of that. I'll, I'll send you, uh, I'll send them your way. Well, Phil, thank you again, man. I appreciate it. And hopefully we run into each other at, uh, one of these conferences coming up once we get back to meeting in person. Absolutely. Good talking to you. Appreciate it. Take care. Thanks. Peace. So there you have it, folks. I hope you enjoyed the interview. And before I sign off, I really need you to know that we really do love data centers over here at Open Spectrum. It's not just a, a catchy tagline for a podcast. They are our passion and our livelihood. And I encourage you to learn more about how we serve buyers, service providers, agents, master agents, and investors in the data center hosting network and cloud services space. Uh, you can check out our website at www.openspectruminc.com where you can download a mountain of free content that we produce, such as the numerous regional market reports and excerpts from our book, The Data Center Collocation Industry Playbook, that is now on its fourth edition. You can also read the show notes and links from this podcast at www.openspectruminc.com forward slash I love data centers. Have a great week, and I will see you and hopefully hear from you soon.